Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Well, good morning, Colonial Woods. How are we doing this morning? Yes. I, li- I love it. We're alive, alert, awake, and enthusiastic, hopefully, to be here. I'm excited this morning to share with you. We've been in a series called Binder Messages, and, and the series has kind of been one of those things where uh, the different people who have taught, Pastor Ann, Pastor Phil, I think we had an intern speak as well through that time, have taken messages that kind of God's laid on our heart uh, over the years that, that kind of as you're listening maybe to another message, you kind of write your own little notes and put them in the, the pages of your Bible, or uh, you've heard someone speak on a topic you're like man that would be great to speak on and so we've kind of been picking different topics and today we end that series and next week we'll be starting a new series I believe repurposed is what we're starting next week um, but as we close today I, I had a I had a message that God laid on my heart it was actually in 2009 I got to speak uh, to students at a camp called Mancelona camp um, for those of you who go to Brown City camp around here there's another camp in the missionary church in Michigan it's up north uh, called Mancelona camp and I had been asked to speak for the first time I've been asked to speak at a camp it was awesome had a lot of fun that year Pastor Phil happened to be the adult speaker so we actually got the tag team he did all the adult sessions and I did the youth sessions but uh, a lot of camps they do this thing called youth night where on like the Friday night last Friday at the camp the youth speaker is asked to speak to the adults and um, I know for a lot of you in here you're looking man Pastor Dan when I grow up I want to be like you I get that Um, but but before I got to speak regularly I had not done it a lot, and I did a lot of students, loved speaking to students, but uh, I'm going to be honest with you, adults, y'all scared me a little. Um, and, and so it was just one of those things where I just, I just struggled to speak to adults. I'd only spoken to adults like in a, in a pastor, like this type of setting once before. It was a Saturday night message. And, um, and so I'm going up there. It was to about 150 people. But the camp, they had 350 people. I'm speaking to adults. I had my boss there who is a decent communicator, I guess. Um, and then I had our, our regional director at the time, Jim Keller, was there. And so I'm getting a little nervous for this, for this message. So I wanted to make sure that it was great. So I, I, I thought through everything I could put in this message that could just make it awesome. Every illustration that I could do, um, every great story, I exegeted everything the way I, I, I was prepared. I wanted to make sure it was great and do that. And so that night came where I got to speak uh, to, to the adults and a couple things just kind of off the bat went a little wrong for me. Um, first of all, I like in a cool setting and some of you are here, yeah, Colonial Woods Worship Center is really cold. Well, it's really nice up here for me. Um, but that night, there's no air conditioning in this tabernacle, and it was about 95 degrees. So we're hot, and they want you to dress up a little nicer. So I had like long sleeves on, nice pants and everything. So I'm already sweating. And then my mic that I use, it broke. And so they give me a handheld. Now, I don't know if you notice, I speak with my hands. And so like, I like to talk with my hands, and I had illustrations that I was bringing out. And so a couple strikes against me off the bat, but I was prepared. I wanted to preach. So I get up there and I start going and I give everything I get. And 57 minutes later, 
I finished my message, but I felt the Lord, it's camp week, right? So you're at camp, you gotta give an altar call. And so I'm like, okay, the Lord's gonna use this message. People are gonna come forward. They're gonna flood the altar. I had my mind on the right things, right? Um, and so I just wanna make sure this was gonna happen. And so I had asked the, the, the worship guy to, to be ready for a song and he goes, I got this new song. And uh, it, it's, it's, you're gonna love it. And it, the song is called, The Blood Has Never Failed Me Yet. And essentially the song is this, the blood has never failed me yet on repeat. That's all they say. That's the only words of the song. And it's done, for those of you who know music, it's done in a minor key. So a minor key is like a death march almost. And so, so imagine the blood has never failed you yet over and over again in a minor key. And I'm up there and I give this message and I'm like waiting for the altar call. People are supposed to come forward and a minute goes by. No one comes forward. Two minutes go by. It was seven minutes that I was determined to make sure someone comes up here. And this kid, I, I think he felt bad for me. And he's always, he comes forward. And as he starts walking forward, I go, let's pray. And uh, so, so someone came forward. I pray. I walk off. And I'm feeling horrible. This is one of the worst messages I ever get. And I go back to my trailer. My wife comes in. I said, honey, uh, this is horrible. We have, I have one message to students in the morning. We're packing all of our stuff up now. We're getting out of here. I don't want to see a single person after I'm done because this is so bad. I don't want to hear what they have to say. She says, no, it's okay. Come out to the fire. A lot of the people sit around the fire. I go, no, I am staying in here. So I'm like laying in my bed. I'm laying there. The door, she leaves. The door opens, comes back. And I go, honey, I don't want to go out. And I look up and it's Pastor Phil. And he looks at me with a big smile like he has right now and goes, well, Danny, just remember, the blood has never failed you yet. <laughs> and he goes, he, he keeps on, he goes, and I'm serious, that was a good, you know what? That was the best three messages I've ever heard in one sitting. And, uh, and so we joke about that. If you ever hear us talk about the message, that was the blood that never failed you, that's it. Well, we're talking about this series and going in there, and he goes, you know what? Dan, I think you should do the blood has never failed you yet message. And I thought he was joking. He goes, no, I'm actually serious. You, you kind of tweaked that a little bit. It could be a good message. And I'll tell you what, that's what we're going to do this morning. I'll keep it a little shorter. Um, so, so there's a clock up there that I'm supposed to follow, so we're going to do that. But if you have your Bibles today, would you turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget... Um, when I was preparing for that message, I really, the Lord took me to this passage um, in Luke chapter 2 and, and kind of gave me this word. I just kept it going uh, when we did it back then. But what's happening here is there are two stories, two stories um, before Jesus starts his ministry about Jesus. You have the Christmas story that a lot of us are familiar with. And in Luke chapter 2, there's another story when Jesus is 12 years old and he's in the temple. And you may remember the story. It's Luke is the only gospel who talks about this account. And what's happening here is Jesus' family is taking a family vacation, all right? And they do this every year. They go to Jerusalem. They go to this feast of the Passover, and they go spend some time there. The whole family comes and everything. They've done it every year. And then when he's 12 years old, they go down there. And I'm assuming at the time, uh, all the kids kind of get to do whatever they want. They kind of roam around. They've been here. Um, a lot of family going on. And so they go there, and then they head home. And as they're heading home after a couple times, Jesus' parents realize that they can't find Jesus, and he has gone missing now for three days. Real good parents there, Mary and Joseph, right? 
So he's missing for three days, and after those three days, they end up going back to Jerusalem to look for Jesus, and as they find Jesus, they find him in the temple. They find him in the synagogue, and, and, and he's sitting there, and he's hanging out with all the, the priests and the teachers and kind of having these conversations, and he's amazing people because, well, he's Jesus, right? And his mom comes in a little, I think the actual word it says is she was anxious, a little, right? Three days of missing. And she begins to talk nicely. What that means to me is she gets out the mom finger, right? And points at her and goes, listen here, son, right? And she goes off on him, tells what's going on. Jesus gets a little teenage sass and just goes, wouldn't you know I'm in my father's house? Now he's Jesus, so he's perfect. So he didn't say it like that, but that's how I would have said it. And he gets to this place in Luke chapter two, after they find Jesus and they get there. And in 250, verse 51, it says this, then he went down to Nazareth with them, so they're leaving Jerusalem, they went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, his parents. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And the next time we see Jesus after he leaves is in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, and all the other gospels, that actually, this is where it starts with Jesus. Um, Matthew, you have the, 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 the birth, but in Mark and in John, it starts in Luke chapter 3, this kind of concept, and it says, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. So you have Jesus, 12 years old in the temple, and then the next time we see Jesus is when he's 30. Meaning that there are 18 years here where we see nothing about Jesus. So what was he doing? What was Jesus doing? All we know is what it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 52. It says, and Jesus grew. That's all it says about him. And Jesus grew. That's what we knew he did for 18 years. He grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. Now, now the, the NASB says that instead of grew, it says that, and Jesus kept increasing. He kept increasing. Uh, the Greek word for grow is prokopto, prokopto, which means to pro progress, to go ahead, um, to go forward, to advance, to increase, and in my favorite one, enlarge in quantity. That's what I do. Um, I've got that one down. But that's what we know about Jesus is that he grew. He grew in all these areas. Scholars call this 18-year period the preparation period. The preparation period. It's the time that Jesus was getting ready to do ministry. So he was becoming a rabbi, a teacher, learning from everybody else. He was, he was figuring out how this was going to work. And then we see him 18 years later when, when he's 30 years old in ministry. I will tell you what I like to call this time period is the time that Jesus was charging his batteries. He was charging his batteries. Now, I'm assuming most of you in here, maybe not the little ones, have a cell phone, right? How many of you, you got a cell phone, right? So I'm, I, I, I like my cell phone. A lot of us do. I, I need it everywhere I go. I typically don't go anywhere I get it. And one of my favorite things to do is to get a new phone. Um, I, it's always fun when you get your new phone and try things out. And I'm an Apple user, and so, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. And, uh, but, uh, but Apple, you get that new phone, you, you turn it on, you do all that stuff, and you set it up when you get the new phone. And one of the things, after I get my phone all set up, 
uh, I get it, the settings the way I want, ready to go. The next thing I always do is I charge it and charge it to completion. I want it fully charged, right? The first time I want it charged up so it's ready to go. And then what I do after that is every night after that, I continue to plug in my phone to make sure it stays charged. I get mad at myself. I think in probably the last five, six years, and this is sad, don't, don't hate me for this, I probably only miss charging my phone at night one time. <laughs> like, because and, and, I just I make sure it's part of my nightly routine, right? Put jammies on, charge in my phone, go to bed. That's kind of, and I have an Apple watch, kind of like Apple products, and I put that on the charger too. I want to make sure my watch and my phone, they're, they're charged up. If they're not charged up, then I can't function properly. I believe what Jesus was doing in those 18 years was he was taking, like we would take our phone and charge it, he was charging up to completion so that he was ready to do the ministry that God was going to call him to do when he was 30 years old. And then what he continued to do, and you'll see this all throughout his ministry, he would go back to the charger in between all these areas to make sure he continued to stay charged to do the ministry God has called him to do. Church, my question for you this morning, how charged are your batteries? If you were to look at your life with the Lord in the different areas, would you consider yourself fully charged? Would you even know how to charge up? Where are your charging stations? In our house, we have about 30 different, every, every plug pretty much has a charger on it so that if anybody's phone's ever getting close to dying, we plug it in. I wonder how much we do that with our own spiritual life with the Lord. That we take time to continually plug in. See, Jesus, for 18 years, it says he grew, he progressed, he advanced in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. And I think there's five areas as you look at Jesus' life as he continued um, in ministry that he continually kept going back to the charger that he said, this is important enough for me to do. The, the first area that Jesus plugged into what was God's word was the Bible. Um, and, and the Bible is God communicating with us, right? Like it's that time where God gets to share with us in Scripture. This book tells us different things. It shares stories and analogies. But it's a history book that says, hey, I want to show you what it looks like to be a believer. If you look at Jesus' ministry, do you know throughout the New Testament that Jesus, Jesus quotes Scripture 80 times? 80 times in Scripture. 70 of those times were different Scriptures, where he quoted it. Jesus continually went back to God's word to answer questions, to defend himself. He's in the desert with the devil, right? And the temptations, and there's these three temptations, and how does Jesus defend himself every temptation? He starts with, well, it is written, and he goes back to that. When the Pharisees are coming at him, what does he say? It is written. 
This book is one of those ways that when we're going through life's struggles and trials, it's something that we need to know and we need to go through. It says in, says in um, 2 Timothy, it says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, man or woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That scripture is setting us up to do the ministry, to, to make sure that we know how to handle things. And we're to go back there time and time again and you go, well, pastor, uh, I, I'm just not good at memorizing scripture. It's just not my thing. And I would tell you this, I, Pastor Phil and I were talking a number of years ago where he said he had someone come in and go, man, Pastor, you are so good at, at scripture. I see you on stage and it just, it just comes to you, you, just, you do that. And I'll never forget, what he, as he was telling me the story, what he said, he goes, well, I'm not to be rude, but I, I read it every day. I'm, I'm in it all the time. And so it's a lot easier to remember something that I'm looking at constantly. And we tell us, oh, I'm not good at scripture. But my question is, are you charging up with the word? Are you coming back to it every day? As I was talking with uh, Pastor Katie this week, uh, we were joking around and she goes, Hey, my, my quote for this would be, you can't quote it if you don't know it. And she kind of chuckled. I go, you know what? Actually, that's, I like that. <laughs> I don't know if that was original to her, but I'm giving her all the credit. You can't quote it if you don't know it. If you're not looking at scripture regularly, how are you expecting to pull it off on top of your head? And Jesus was constantly going back to it. It was actually one of the requirements to be a teacher of the law. You had to memorize scripture. You had to memorize the Bible. The Old Testament, you had to memorize it. By the age of 12, they would say you have to know the first five books of the Bible if you wanted to go on and be a teacher and a rabbi. You can't expect to know scripture if you're not reading scripture. Jesus was plugging into that. The second thing, the second thing I feel that how Jesus plugged in was prayer. And if the Bible is God communicating to us, prayer is us communicating to God. In the New Testament, um, prayer is mentioned 43 different times. 43 different times. 17 of those 43 times are in reference to Jesus' prayer life. 17 times it references Jesus' prayer life. Because prayer was important to him. Whether he was, <coughs> excuse me, whether he was preparing for a task whether he was getting ready to make a big decision, whether it was to recharge, whether it was to just to spend time with the Father, Jesus was constantly in prayer, getting away to make sure there was a connection with the Father. In Colossians chapter one, it says this, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. God is calling us to talk with him, to make those connections with him. But there's a few misunderstandings I think that we have of prayer at times. That, that we kind of miss. And the first one is prayer doesn't always have to be you talking. Did you know that? Prayer does not always have to be you talking. We get this mindset that if I'm praying, I gotta, I gotta talk, 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 talk. 
God, I tell Jesus everything going on. Do you know that you're allowed to go, hey, Lord, this prayer time, would you just speak to me? And then there's this key thing called silence. Where God has the opportunity to actually speak to you. We all have those friends in our life who kind of dominate conversations. I'm probably one of those people. I like to hear myself talk. And so you kind of have those where they just keep going and going and going and over-explain and do all this stuff. And if you don't have those friends, it's probably you. <laughs> but I feel like sometimes that's our relationship with God. Where we like to do all the talking Letting him know everything that he should do, that we want him to do. And that's not what prayer is. The second thing I've learned about prayer is prayer always doesn't have to be about you. Did you know that? That you're allowed to pray for other things beside yourself. So often we treat prayer like a genie. Hey God, I'm ready for you. Now let me tell you what you need to do to help me today. Prayer can be praising God. Prayer can be listening. Prayer can be praying for other people. Novel thought. Talked with a guy this week. Six years ago in the school he went to, that his kids go to, there was a tragedy in the school and God said, hey, I want you to, I want you to pray for that school. I want you to be intentional about that school. And he, he said not just to pray over the school as a whole, He felt God tell him that he should take the yearbook and pray for every faculty member and every student by name twice a week. And I was like, wow. So I said, what do you do? Just take the yearbook and start reading names? He goes, no, that's not praying for them. That's just saying their names. He goes, it would work and that's okay. But he goes, I try and spend about 20 seconds on each faculty member and each student twice a week for the last six years. He has spent time praying for other people. Wow. Man, that kind of hit me. He said, prayer wasn't about him. He said, prayer is going to be about the people in my life that I want to know him. See, prayer doesn't have to be you talking. Prayer doesn't have to be about you. But prayer is always, always about connecting with God. It's about how you can connect, whether silence, meditation, and there is a time, I'm not telling you guys not to pray for yourself, there is a time that God calls us to put our burdens on him, but if that's all it is, I think we're missing the idea of communication with God. The third thing you see Jesus do um, is Jesus actually plugged into a church. Uh, A church would be a body of believers coming together. And now the church like we have today doesn't exist yet in Jesus' time. It's not there. Now Jesus would have been a good Jewish boy and he would have gone. That's part of what he would have done to the temple, to to the synagogue. Every Sabbath he would have been there. That's what he would have been taught. And so he would have been there making sure that he's plugging in and connecting. But what Jesus was doing on top of that is he was setting up, setting up what he thought church would be. 
Uh, You'll see him go around with the masses and he'll have this community that happens where he's doing discipleship focus and he's preaching and doing this. And you'll see that as an example in Acts, right? When Jesus goes up into heaven, what do the disciples do? Church, the way they know how to do it is they begin meeting together in groups to be able to spur each other on and to have that connection. So Jesus was setting up that time that he was always a part of that, which is really important for us as believers to, to, to be a part of the church and what we're looking at. And, and so you'll see this in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now I didn't bring this point up to be a plug for Colonial Woods and make sure you're here every week. That's not what I'm talking about. See, church in the Greek... The word is ekklesia, which means a group of people belonging to God. A group of people belonging to God. It doesn't say a group of people meeting at Colonial Woods Missionary Church. It's a group of people belonging to God. And the church was built so that we can honor Jesus Christ to focus, but as a community of believers coming together to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to learn more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then learn how to further God's kingdom. And so often we think of church as the four walls that come in here. We think of church as the place where I get to check my box on a Sunday morning that says, hey, I went to church today, so now I can go do all these other things. But it was a place of a body of believers coming together to encourage, to equip, to build each other up. Now, I'm not saying the established church is not is bad, because it's good. You look at the New Testament, they had places of gathering. That's where Paul was able to write letters to Corinth, Ephesus, all these different areas. It was important to have those so people would know where to gather, right? It was important to have that, but it was not the walls that made the church. It was the people that made the church. And Jesus understood that. It's why he invested in the different people and said, hey, we need to have a place where we can do this as a community. (coughs) And so church, how are we doing on that? How are we plugging in to the church regularly, not just sitting in our seats, but being a part of the body? And so you hear as we do the announcement time of opportunities to serve that are available. And I go, where are we at, church? How are we plugging in? The the fourth way we see Jesus plug in is through his friends. And these are the people we can trust to speak truth and hold us accountable. And, And you'll see this, that Jesus had this. Jesus had the masses, the groups of people that followed him. These would be like your social media friends, you know, your 1,500 followers on Facebook. That you know what they eat every day, but you haven't talked to them in a real conversation in probably 10 years. Like Jesus had those, right? Like the people who follow, oh, I saw Jesus once, we're friends now. 
Right, so he had that group, but it went further than that. Jesus had the 12, his discipleship group that he was pouring into. Jesus had the three, his trusted group, Peter, James, and John, that he would get together. Jesus had the one in John. He had close people that were holding him accountable. For, uh, Second Thessalon- First Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And church, can I tell you, your spouse, those of you who are married here, your spouse is a great best friend, but they can't be your only friend. You need people who can push you in other ways because I'm going to tell you, no offense, honey, I don't always listen to her very well. And I'm not saying that she listens to me well, but I'm just saying I don't know how well she does it either. And so we need people in our lives. Men, we need godly men who understands what it means to be a man that what we're going through to invest and encourage. Ladies, we need godly women in your lives to encourage and equip, to, be, to spur us on, to be a part of that. We can't ignore that. God has called us to have godly people, and Jesus had that. He had those groups that he was building into and pouring into and then pouring back into him. As weird as that sounds for Jesus to have that, I believe they poured back into him too. How are you doing with your friend groups? Are you plugging in in an appropriate way that people who speak truth and encourage you to be more holy and godly the way that God has called you to be? The last one here is family. And this is the group of people that God has entrusted us to invest into. If you remember several weeks ago, I, I spoke on parenting and family. We went through Deuteronomy and we looked at what was called the Shema. And I want to I bring that up because it's so important. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. We are called to invest in family, and I believe Jesus did the same thing. Do you know that the first, the first miracle, recorded miracle in Scripture, Jesus did because his mom told him to? The, the water turning into wine. They were at a wedding, and they ran out, and his mom came and said, Jesus, I need you to get us more wine. And Jesus actually said no, because they're not ready yet. It's not, it's not my time to do that yet. And she goes, that finger, when she's 12 years old, Remember? I need you to do this. Now, I don't know if that's how it happened. That's how my brain pictures it, right? But he goes, okay, mom. You got it. You know the last thing Jesus did before he died? He's on the cross and he looked down and he said, John, I need you to take care of my mom. It is our job to invest in a spiritual way into our family. Just as much as it is to our job, to our church, to our friends, we are called to invest in Jesus, I believe, continually invested and made sure that that charger was full. Now on my phone, when I, uh, when I get down to the end of the battery life, up in the top right corner, I have the little battery meter. 
it turns red when I get below 20%. It means, oh, I'm going to be unplugged from the world and I don't know if I can handle it. All right, so I look for one of those 30 plugs in my house to plug into, but it's an indicator. On my iPad and my Mac, it actually has a little charging cable. See, see on the picture right there? It has a little charging cable that says, hey, stupid, make sure you use the cable. <laughs> it's this indicator in my life that lets me know about my phone. Growing up, my, uh, my dad, he had a lot of knee surgeries. To date, he's had, I think, over 10 knee surgeries between his, both of his knees. But whenever his knees tended to be bothering him, he'd get a little irritable. And so the joke in our family, whenever my dad was a little cranky, was, hey, dad, your knee's bothering you? I've had three knee surgeries, and guess what my kids do to me? Hey, your knee's bothering me because you're a little cranky. You're having some issues. It's an indicator, right, that all is not well. With your relationship with the Lord, I wonder what your indicators are that would say your batteries might not be charged with God as much as you think they are. Maybe you're a little bit more stressed. You have anxiety. Maybe you're a little bit more irritable than normal. Happiness is hard to find. And I would tell you there's other factors. Emotions come and go. I get it. But is the first place you look on what you, the world can offer you to make you feel better? Or do you look at that little meter that says, am I not charged up the way I should be with the Lord? So that's my challenge today. My questions for you are, how charged are your batteries? If you were intentional at looking at that meter, that battery life, how charged are your batteries? And the follow-up would be, what are the indicators in your life that you can recognize when they're getting low? Because they are going to get low. I believe Jesus began to get depleted. You'll see it. You'll see it in times when he's in the garden before he's supposed to, and, he, and he's starting to sweat blood, right? Man, I'm stressed. I mean, so what's he doing? What do you find him doing when that happens? Praying. He's plugging in. And this isn't a message that's intended to be a Debbie Downer, make you feel bad. Oh, man, I'm doing bad. No, I actually, hopefully this is encouraging. So Jesus spent 18 years charging his battery to do ministry because God was going to call him to something even bigger. Church, get this. You are called to something bigger. God believes in you. God wants you to do something bigger than yourself. How cool is that? He's calling all of you to be part of the church, to be part of this world, to change lives. He's calling all of you to do that. He's just asking, are you charged up? Are you ready to go? And do you know where your charging stations are when you get depleted? That should excite you. 
that should motivate you to say, I am ready, or there is some work to do to get ready, but I will be when I'm called to do the ministry God has set me to do. How exciting for us, church, to be a part of that. To be a part of a world where we can do the ministry God has set us in the way he's called us to do. And his only requirement is charge your batteries. Keep them charged so you're ready to do the work. That's the call this morning. How charged are you? And what are those indicators? Because it says in Luke chapter 2, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God men. Are you growing today? Have you been growing? Are you going to continue to grow? Lord, we thank you this morning for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. Father, but thank you so much, even more so, for your son Jesus to give us an example on how to stay plugged into you. Lord, this morning in this room, I gotta believe people, as, you, as people hear this, they're going, oh man, I just don't see how I could ever get charged up. And I've been there. So God, would you bring people into, the, into these people's lives? Would you bring believers to surround them and encourage them and equip them to just get to a place? Maybe they're the outlet, maybe they're the charger that points to you. God, may we all be ready to do the work you're gonna call us to do. May we all be ready to do the work you're calling us to do. Lord, may we be a church who stays charged and plugged into you, the ultimate power source. That's the analogy here. You are the power source. May we always stay plugged into you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.